0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Dental Marketer podcast. I'm your host Michael Arias, and before we get into the episode, guys, really quick if you can, it would mean so much to us here at the Dental Marketer headquarters. If you it would mean a lot to me if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. Um be super cool if you can leave us five stars, but uh, leave us a review. That way we know how we're doing with the podcast and at the same time can continue to give you guys what more of what you want to listen to. And it helps us out a ton as well uh, when you leave a review. So if you can, maybe press pause right now or by the time you're done listening to this episode and go uh, shoot us a review on iTunes. But in this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Ankur Gupta.
1: We were going to random schools and giving a presentation. It's kind of funny because... That's a pain in the butt, right? Like nobody wants to do that. Yeah. Um, but two things happened. Number one was all of a sudden these kids were going home, telling their parents about these dentists or these cool people that came to their school and gave them these free toothbrushes or whatever. And so people started calling our office just to make appointments. That was number one. But number two is the two of us were so uncomfortable and awkward with public speaking. We were so uncomfortable with it when we first started doing it, but our audience was a bunch of like first graders. So who cares? And so we started, we started actually getting really good. We started figuring out how to get first graders to like really laugh or first graders to get all excited. And I would say that, so, so there was this one purpose and that was to send patients to our office to start getting mm-hmm. new patient phone calls. And then there was this other purpose where it was to create a really high level of comfort with something that we were both uncomfortable with, and that was community engagement.
0: Encore! Such a great speaker, guys. If you have the opportunity to go hear him speak, or actually go in the show notes below, he's he's having a, a conference. Uh, coming up in july and i can only imagine how great it's going to be so go check the, his his conference out uh, i believe it's called the happy dentist but check it out in the show notes below but anyways in this episode we are talking uh kind of diving into his life right he has been a dentist for a little bit over 20 years or almost 20 years he was touching 20 years he started a practice three weeks after his residency him and his wife And he lets us know how they were super stupid with money. Um, And he gets into the details of that. He also lets us know what didn't work and what did work. And now that things are working, now that he's done the mistakes, he's learned, he's pivoted and things like that, his office is doing some really awesome stuff. And we go into details about exactly what he's able to do uh, for the community in his office. We also discuss um, the psychological benefits and the disadvantages of that feeling of, man, sometimes I just wish I can get a paycheck, clock out, and not worry about the rest of the day, right? I know a lot of startup owners at one point have felt that. So we discuss the psychological part of that. We also talk about how he specifically started scaling or growing his practice by getting new patients And going to schools, doing community engagements, and how he got good at community engagement. And the way he climbed up this ladder, guys, it's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Especially if you feel uncomfortable ground marketing, right? If you feel uncomfortable going to specific businesses and talking, um, just listen. Listen to how he did it. We also discuss the major changes he had to make from back then to now. Uh, specifically digital, what he's utilizing, what he changed out, what he's utilizing today, how it's making his practice and his life much, much easier, much more efficient. Uh, So listen to that part of the episode. We also discuss staff meetings and how they are so important. I know sometimes we think, oh, man, I did a staff meeting and it didn't work. But something he mentioned that I really, really appreciate is without staff meetings, you'll never do anything special. So he goes into much more detail about that and why they're so important. One of the things he realized the most is um, debt. Debt is real. And a lot of the times he noticed he was being fake rich. So stop being fake rich. Debt is real. And he lets us know how he got out of that debt and finally uh, started accumulating wealth. Right. And we discussed that in so much more. We also discussed the case acceptance. What made him... What made the case acceptance skyrocket? I mean, guys, I can mention so many great points from this episode, but I want you to listen to it. So without further delay, here is Dr. Ankur Gupta. Ankur, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Michael. Awesome, man. If you don't mind me asking, I mean, if people are in the show notes below looking at the video, uh, you have like a huge
1: map in the background. So like, where are you located? Oh, yeah, I do have a map in the background. Um, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. And I I I love maps. I, actually I'm kind of sad that that Google Maps and and GPS have become the norm because I, I like it's my favorite thing in the world is just having like a paper map and looking at it and uh, trying to find what routes go where. Uh, that's like my favorite thing. And so <laughs> when I saw this at IKEA, I was like, oh man, I have gotta have it. You gotta remember back in the day when you were
0: looking for uh, like directions and you pulled out that big book and you were like, where yeah. is it? <laughs> I got G, G7 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's so different now. I mean, I didn't love it as much as you did because I'm horrible with directions, but like, so I would be flipping pages while I'm driving, but I get you, man. Awesome. So Encore, can you tell us a little bit about your past, your present? how did you get to where you are today?
1: Oh, sure. Um. So I'm a dentist. Uh, I've been a dentist for almost 20 years. Back in 2000, well, when I went to University of Michigan dental school, Um, I, that's where I met my wife. She was also a student in the dental school with me, same class. Mm -hmm. And we got married right after dental school. We did residency together. And then, you know, so when we were in our residency, all the attending doctors, they were like, oh man, you guys got to run your own practice, you know, because you're, you're pretty nice people, you're hard workers, whatever. And you're going to kill. You're just going to be like, really, really successful because you're nice people, pretty good dentists, whatever. And so we, you know, not only did that feed our egos, it made us think that all you got to do is open a practice. Like, that's it. You just got to like rent a space, borrow some money, throw some dental chairs in it, and you're going to be booming. And so that's what we did right after residency, like three weeks after residency ended, we started a practice from scratch. and. I got to tell you, from a business perspective, everything that you shouldn't do, we did. Like, we made all the dumbest mistakes in terms of marketing, all the dumbest mistakes in the way that we uh, treated patients when they came in. We were super stupid with money. And, you know, four or five years in, we just were like, gosh, when when is this dream going to come true? Like, everybody told told us how easy it was going to be. And it wasn't easy for us. So. Um, so anyway, we had kids, they were pretty young and I would go to the library with them a lot. And I, j- I didn't even know that business books existed. Like I'd never read a book that was about, you know, how to run a business better. All I did was read murder mysteries and spy novels and <laughs> stuff like that. But I was at the library and my kids were like playing in the kid section and I found business books and I started reading them. And all of them talked about how stupid my decisions were. You know, like I would read a chapter and the author would make fun of entrepreneurs for something, for something uh, that a lot of entrepreneurs do. And I was like, God, that's exactly what I do. I, and, and, and I just, you know, I went back home. I started talking to my wife about it. And she started reading the same books. And we really systematically just experimented. We said, oh, this is a cool idea. Let's try it. And some of them worked and some of them didn't. But the one thing that we really did well with was, we stuck to the things that worked. And now, now it's been a long time, but our office does really, really cool stuff. We do pretty amazing things. And I have a, I, I, if I could credit that to anything, it was to some of the things I learned 15 years ago when I was really struggling. And, and so now we're, we're, we're kind of in a unique situation. Like a lot of dental offices, we're successful financially, but we do a lot of really uh, unique things from a philanthropic perspective, we do a lot of unique things from a uh, community service and and community outreach perspective, and um, and, and it's it, that that's been a really nice situation. So the past was the past, and now I would say the future looks like we get to continue doing a lot of the the fun stuff that we have been.
0: The fun stuff, as in like the philanthropic stuff, or
1: yeah, yeah. So like for example, um, on Veterans Day, we uh, closed the office and we only see uh, military veterans, like all day. When we first did this seven years ago, we saw maybe 40 military veterans showed up. And our office isn't that big, we only have seven ops. And we, we realized like, well, this people actually can, um, they could utilize this. So all we would do is see military veterans, we would do free work on them, fillings, checkups, cleanings, extractions, whatever they wanted, denture adjustments, mm-hmm. and we would do it for free. And now, uh, every year after year, we're seeing over a hundred military veterans coming in. And that's a hard thing to do, like in a little office with a little team to see that many people. That was that's a that's something I'm really proud of, and it's it's incredible from a philanthropic perspective. It makes me feel like a good person, but also I feel like what how how did we pull this off? Like how could we? pull off something that where we see this many people serve this many people and still feel like relatively sane at the end of the day. And uh, things like that, that's unique. That, that's something that when I first started a practice, you know, back in 2004, I don't know that I ever thought that that's something that we could accomplish. And so I guess that's an example of one of those cool things yeah veterans day is it like
0: oh we're only
1: serving veterans
0: our patients that used to be veterans and things like that or is it veterans like any veteran can come in get any work done don't
1: even worry about anyone any 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 veteran can come in every so often patients of ours come in and they're like oh i saw the veterans day thing and we're like yo like don't come in today because it's a madhouse today come in on your normal appointment in a couple months and we'll just give it to you for free you know um with so majority 97 percent of that veterans that come in, our patients, people that aren't patients of ours already.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So rewind a little bit, man. You were in, uh, when you were in dental school, even a little bit before that, when you decided to become a dentist, you always wanted to own a practice or no, it started in dental school when people were like hyping y'all up and saying like, yeah, own
1: a practice. You guys are going to be great. I didn't know. No, the whole idea of entrepreneurship was not something that neither my wife or I had planned. I don't, I don't know if we were forward thinking enough to even know what the career path would look like. All we thought was let's graduate dental school, let's finish residency, and then let's just start like being regular adults. Uh, the idea of having a practice, owning a practice, building something from scratch, that all just kind of fell on us rather than us having a long-term plan for it. And I think that it might be one of the reasons why we struggled so much in the beginning because we didn't really have much of a long-term plan. We didn't really think about all the nuances of being business owners. We just became business owners. And then we were Mm -hmm. like, Oh crap, we're business owners. We have a huge debt now. Now we got to figure things out.
0: Yeah. That's a lot, man. That's a lot to, uh, I feel like to stick with, you know what I mean? Especially if you weren't, if it wasn't the plan ever, you were just thinking like, man, it must be so nice to just get a paycheck and go home, clock out. And, and that's it. Be with the kids, right? But if 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 it wasn't part of your the plan, what made you guys stick with it until
1: this whole time? So, okay, that's a great question. Um, I, w- with both of us, we, when we started our practice, we, it wasn't making any money. I mean, we had no patience. It, it was, you know, it was just a, it was a money pit in the beginning. And so both of us had to pay our bills at home. So, She got a job at Aspen Dental and I got a job at Sears Dental. It's called Dental Works now. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but so I worked in the Sears department store as a dentist. And then she worked at a um, large corporate dental practice. While there was some psychological benefit of just clocking in, clocking out, and getting a paycheck, it was very, very apparent to us that we needed to eventually. Just work in our own practice. I'll give you an example. At the place that I worked, I found one of my dental assistants to be very unpleasant. She was a good dental assistant. She really was a good dental (laughs) assistant, but she was very unpleasant. And I just found myself to be like annoyed and pissed off being around her. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I had no control over whether or not she would stay. I had no control. She was just, I was an employee, she was an employee, and we were expected to work together. And that's how it is when you're an employee somewhere, when you're in charge, when you're the one calling the shots, if somebody is incredibly unpleasant, you have the autonomy to pick and choose who are the people you're going to surround yourself with. And so that was something that became apparent to us right away was like, okay, running our own practice would be the way to go if we could just figure out how to be profitable. It was like, oh my God, this, this thing over here, it worked. It's a cool, it's, it's a definitely the better alternative. We just got to figure out how we can allow it to pay us. And, um, and so that was the big challenge. And so you're right. There is, there's a lot of psychological liberation to showing up, getting a paycheck. But what if, what if you don't like something about where you're at? You can't, it's not that easy to change it, but it's much easier if you're the entrepreneur.
0: Gotcha. So to you, that's when it started solidifying, right? To you and your wife, like that's when it started solidifying as you were in the workforce, as you were like in that money pit, you're thinking, man, even though we're in this money pit, we got to make this work. We got to dig out of here somehow. So then at that moment, when you were, I guess, pivoting, right? Your mindset and everything because of that, what did you start doing? What did you start doing as far as actionable systems or maybe your mindset or something to start, you know what I mean? Like, okay, this really didn't work anymore. Stop doing that. This is what's working besides reading books, right? Like, and I know you were reading books. You said, so what were you implementing?
1: Yeah. The great question. And, and probably, I wouldn't be able to talk about everything, but let me give you a couple of examples. Mm -hmm. Number one was we weren't getting enough new patients and we're like, what, why are we getting new patients? We're so nice. Look at us. You know, we have this (laughs) cute office. Oh, Why why don't people come to us? And uh, one thing we did, and we got really intentional about, was every third grade teacher, first grade teacher, preschool teacher that was a patient of ours already, or we knew, or had a relationship with, we asked them, "Hey, can we come to the school and give a presentation about sugar bugs?" Mm -hmm. And we, it was like to a point where we were doing this once a week. We were going to random schools and giving a presentation. It's kind of funny because. That's a pain in the butt, right? Like nobody wants to do that. Yeah. Um, but two things happened. Number one was all of a sudden these kids were going home, telling their parents about these dentists or these cool people that came to their school and gave them these free toothbrushes or whatever. And so people started calling our office just to make appointments. That was number one. But number two is the two of us were so uncomfortable and awkward with public speaking. We were so uncomfortable with it when we first started doing it, but our audience was a bunch of like first graders. So who cares? And so we started, we started actually getting really good. We started figuring out how to get first graders to like really laugh or first graders to get all excited. And I would say that, so, so there was this one purpose and that was to send patients to our office to start getting mm-hmm. new patient phone calls. And then there was this other purpose where it was to create a really high level of comfort with something that we were both uncomfortable with. And that was community engagement and giving presentations and giving lectures. And so after a while, we started giving presentations to like the Rotary Club and to a knitting group or a gardening club, or um, the city would would invite us to every Tuesday morning, they would have coffee with the mayor and the mayor would invite us. There were these weird little opportunities And we were very well known as these two dentists who always do these community outreach type of things. And so our new patient numbers all of a sudden started to fly. And in my opinion, those are the most valuable new patients you could ever have. Because when a new patient walks through your doors, usually you have to gain their trust. You you have to get them to like you. But if you've already gotten them to like you and gotten them to trust you from some community event then they're already they're coming through the doors already liking you and that was a huge change then all of a sudden when we started presenting treatment plans that were expensive and that maybe were not covered by insurance etc patients already trusted us and they were like well these are good people and so this one little thing just getting comfortable with speaking to a bunch of kindergartners what it did was it created a cascade that allowed us to do huge implant procedures on old people. It all started from kindergartners. Um, that was one thing that when we implemented, we got really, really intentional about it. We really stepped out of our comfort zone. And I'm so glad that we did because I feel like a lot of the successes I have, not only as a dentist, but you know, as, a, as an educator, et cetera, it came from that. Um, so that was one, one example. Yeah, that's a really good example, especially like you know, working your way up,
0: getting those reps in. In, in order to yeah. start speaking to, I guess, the Rotary Club, senior, senior homes, things like that, you know what I mean? How did you deal with the rejection?
1: Oh, okay. So at first, horribly, right? At first I was like, oh man, they didn't even call me back. Um, this is terrible. Uh, what's wrong with them? And stuff like that. And I started, I started feeling like maybe um, there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, just like doing your red, just like, you know, there's, there's pain. Let, let's use a weightlifting analogy or an, an exercise and endurance analogy. When you do something that your body isn't primed for, you feel pain, right? Mm-hmm. And then you do it again and you feel a little bit less pain. And then after you, a while, you can do that thing where there's no pain and you can actually progress to something more difficult, right? That's, a, that's the same thing with exercise. But if you think about that analogy, it can be used For everything, including rejection. So I really wanted to do more dental implants. That was something I I learned how to do dental implants. I wanted to do more and more dental implants. Okay. (laughs) So I started going to, I started trying to go to audiences that consisted mostly of older individuals. And I kept on asking and I kept on being rejected. And I got no, 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 no. But there was something about the rejection it just became a little bit less painful. And I think that that's valuable because even now, I'm an educator now. I teach a lot of classes. Mm -hmm. I ask to teach places all the time. I ask to teach at big dental conferences all the time. And they say no, and I don't care. Like, I truly don't care anymore. They say, no, I don't care. I move on to the next thing. And the reason I don't care is because I got rejected so much in the beginning. And let's face it, if you're a dentist, who is asking, who's, who's recommending $10,000, $15,000, $25,000 cases, people are going to say no. They're just going to say no. Sometimes I'll be, see, be sitting with a patient and I'll recommend a really expensive treatment plan, a $25,000 treatment plan. And it involves dental implants and surgery and all terrible pain and all that kind of stuff. And the patient says, wait, are you trying to tell me that I'm going to pay all this money And I'm not even going to have my teeth for a whole year from now. And it's actually kind of nice. I used to feel defensive and I I would feel uncomfortable, like, oh, man, this lady is kind of arguing with me. Now, I very comfortably say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling. You're not Mm -hmm. going to get your final teeth for another, another year. Either I tell you the truth or I tell you what you want to hear. And the reason I'm able to say that and say it confidently is because I'm really comfortable with her deciding not to do treatment with me. I'm very comfortable with that. I'm very comfortable with the rejection. I'm very comfortable with no. And so I really encourage anybody who, who feels that pain of rejection to just continue getting rejected because that might be, a, that might be the one thing that, that uh, takes you to success is that it, once you get comfortable with it, all of a sudden the confidence starts showing up and then it's much easier to get patients to actually say yes. Yeah, man, that was really good. Actually, speaking of which... That lady, the one who's like, are you trying to tell me that nine times out of 10, she ends up doing the treatment. You know what I'm saying? Nine times out of 10, she's like, oh, wow, this is the first dentist who wasn't trying to BS me. Okay, all right, I'll get, you know, I think I'm going to go with this guy.
0: Yeah, no,
1: that's uh, 100% right. I,
0: I think it's, um, I don't know, kind of like this type of marketing. Uh, I, I consider like, you know, ground marketing, community engagement, all these things. I feel like it's uh, almost sometimes stems from a, a moment of desperosity. Like we're, we're, we're like, I have to physically go out there and try, you know, instead of like um, almost, I'm going to pay for Google ad, right? And then hopefully we, we see if, let's just sit and wait. But I also feel like a lot of people today or a lot of practice owners, some, and this is my opinion, I feel like sometimes they, they'll try, right? Three or four times and then they vent, maybe in a Facebook group and somewhere and then you're like, ah, oh, and then other people start chiming in their opinions. No, you got to be doing this. You got to be doing SC, all these other things, right? And you're like, you don't give it the proper
1: i guess you don't have enough reps in right yeah or that or, or, or what do you think i don't know everything has to be the long game so i'll give you an example i'm sorry for going on these crazy analogies but but okay, very, I like. <laughs> all right um, my daughter is really picky eater mm-hmm. super picky from the time she was a baby anytime we gave her something interesting she wouldn't eat it and she just wanted the widest plainest the simplest stuff to her yeah. belly and that was just how she was at first we gave into that and we were like, all right, let's just give her like the grilled cheese and let her eat it. And then me and my wife will sit by her. We'll have our own adult dinner. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then my son came along and he was less picky, but we had developed this system. Like, let's give our kids the simple kid food and then we'll sit somewhere else. Right. And we'll eat our adult food. And because it was so simple, it was so simple. Then we read this book. It was called French Kids Eat Everything. And uh, in the book, the author was like, yo, if you want your teenage kids to have a healthy diet, you got to start now. And so, and the author gave all these ideas, like make dinner a big production, set the table, light a candle, do all this kind of stuff, have the kids set the table, all this kind of stuff, right? (laughs) I would say for a full year, I hated that author for a full year. I was like, I hate it. "She sucks." She's telling basically you took you took dinner, this thing that I used to enjoy, and made me hate it. Right? I, I hate it now. Now all of it, I'm fighting with my daughter. I'm fighting with my son. Yelling at them. They're being too lazy about setting the table. You know, what? they're fighting over the lighter to fight to light the candle because that's the only thing they wanted. It. All of this, they, I hated it. Right? Mm -hmm. But now my kids are 11 and 14 and they sit with us, they eat with us and they eat whatever we eat. And that's just, that's how it's been for probably about half a decade. It's a good system. After dinner's over, everybody's part of the cleanup. It's a good system, but it sucked in the beginning. It was the worst. And so when we talk about things like going to schools or going to the Rotary Club and stepping out of your comfort zone and giving a speech. Sometimes what we want so bad is for the very next day for the phone to ring and some old guy who has ill-fitting dentures to say, hey, I listened to your lecture. I really like this dental implant idea. I'm ready to go forward with it. Can I set up a consultation? That's what we think in our head. Because in the same way if I set the table and I have my kids light a candle and I serve up like some pinto bean and cabbage thing, they're going to eat it and they're going to love it. And they're going to be like, I love you, dad. I love you. Mom. That's what we think could happen. And it never freaking happens. That's just not how life is. Instead, you play the long game and you continue, like you said, putting in the reps. And then all of a sudden you have this crazy implant practice and you're doing them all the time. You don't know exactly when the turning point was. We, you don't know exactly exact what, what was the date of the tipping point, mm-hmm. where the amount of effort you put in started to equal what you were getting back. I'll never know. I don't know. Um, but it's never going to be as immediate as we want it to be. Man, that, that was really good. I like that, uh, <laughs> that analogy. So right now, do you mainly have nothing but implants? Uh, your practice is an implant no, practice? No. So, so my wife and I practice together and we have one associate. Mm -hmm. And we're a general dentist practice. Um, I mostly do implants, implant procedures, implant dentures. I mostly do the surgical aspect of things, even though I do still refer stuff out to oral surgeons and periodontists. I do a lot of the surgery myself. My wife likes doing it, but not as much as I do. And so she likes to do really simple implant procedures. And then our associate, she's really young. She's in her mid-20s it's kind of cool. We get an opportunity to give her simple procedures as well. And she's really excited about that. Like that she gets to place implants as early as she is in her career. And so we're still a general dentistry practice, but um, my focus is primarily surgery stuff.
0: I like that, man. That's good. So then since the moment you opened your practice, you said 2004 till right now, I know a lot has changed, right? Technology-wise and everything like that. So what are some things that, Had to change? What are some things you wanted to change? And what are some things you're utilizing right now that you feel is absolutely amazing as, like, you're in your arsenal?
1: Yeah, that's a good question because I think that there's a lot of dentists who are my age and older who still do things the way they were taught in dental school. And I don't think that that's not their fault. I mean, that's how they were taught. But I think that by doing so, we're failing to realize how many things that are out there that are just designed to make life easier and designed to make the dentistry we deliver better. I've given this a lot of thought because I would say what I do today is very different than the way I was taught in dental school. When I was taught in dental school, I used something called alginate where I mixed a powder and water and I mixed them up together in a bowl and I slopped them onto a tray and then I slopped the tray into a person's mouth. Um, That's not a bad thing. Any dentist who's doing that and they're still delivering great dental work, that's not something to be ashamed of. But it is a pain in the butt. It's, it's a pain. I mean, you can't argue with me with that. That's It's annoying, and it's dirty, and it's messy. It smells kind of weird, and it's it it's takes a lot more effort. <laughs> There's so much technology now that makes that really outdated. Not that it's bad to do outdated stuff, but it's more of a pain in the butt. And so now there are these things called digital scanners, which are basically like wands. They look like intraoral cameras that you put into a patient's mouth, but instead of taking a photo, they take an impression. They, they give you an actual 3D rendering of an entire patient's mouth. And now you can use that to send to a lab. And so there's now, I would say 40, 50% of situations that I used to always take physical impressions for, I don't even use impression material for because I have this scanner. Um, It makes things a lot less messy. It makes things a little more accurate. And then I get to use a digital interface to communicate with the lab rather than paper and pen and lab slips and FedEx slips (laughs) and a box that you throw. You know, you put an impression into a box and then you put the box out in the front and then a FedEx or a UPS carrier grabs it takes it out somewhere and you hope that it makes it to the lab and then the finished product makes it back. Now it's all this digital interface, kind of the way Amazon is. (laughs) You know, like Amazon is just a digital interface. If I want headphones, I don't have to get my car, drive somewhere, look for headphones, compare them with others. I just click a couple buttons and then I expect headphones. I think dentistry, it's kind of nice that dentistry is the same way. I was thinking about Uber the other day. When I was, you're, you look like you're a lot younger than me, Michael. When I was out of dental school and I needed to get somewhere, like from the airport somewhere, I used to call a yellow cab. Mm-hmm. Have you ever called a yellow cab before? Yeah. Oh, you have. Okay. Yeah. I've- Dude, now it just, all you have to do is pull out your phone. and like, like, you barely even have to press anything on your phone and some nice looking car shows up. I feel like dentistry can be the same way. The more that we embrace digital technology, the more we can uberize our practice and make it so we just click a couple of things and we get stuff done. It makes it a lot easier so that dentistry is not so messy. So actually, so I was talking about the scanner. The lab that I use actually gives away a scanner. So I think they've created th- this lab. It's called Dandy. You've probably heard of them because they, they uh, I feel like they've become very visible in the dental market in the last couple of years. Dandy, D-A-N-D-Y. So I think that their business model is such that they are so efficient with only digital models that they can still be profitable while giving away scanners which is blows my mind because the scanner is like 20 grand yeah. and that that was my that's a barrier right spending 20 grand is a barrier for a lot of us and so my wife and I even though the idea of a scanner seemed pretty cool we just didn't really want to take the plunge because of the cost. And then all of a sudden the lab comes along and is like, yo, use us and we'll give you the scanner. And they made it such that it's not, so that in itself is a huge value, right? They give you the scanner. Uh, It's a trios, three-shaped scanner, so it's a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, We got the free scanner, there's value there. But I think beyond that, like the scanner actually, it's so well integrated to their platform that let's say I take a scan and I'm not sure if the margins are good or something like that. I'll literally go on the laptop and say, "Hey, are are these margins any good?" And one of their lab texts will respond. Will actually be like, "Yeah, the margins look really good. It's sweet. Nice job." And I'm like, that, "That's crazy." I mean, the thought of a lab tech—I don't know where they're located. Probably hundreds of miles away, thousands of miles—responding to me in real time while I'm scanning. That, that's just—it's Uber. It's—it's honestly—it's what 20 years ago, it's what, how I would have responded if you were like, yo, if you just pull out your smartphone and press a button, a cab driver will drive up to you. It's the same. It, or, or if you want headphones, just click a couple of things and you'll get headphones at your door. This is the same thing. It's Uber. A lab tech looks at my scan, says, this is a good scan. What do you think of this? Hey, can you, can you also take a scan of, of something else or can you take a photo and upload it? And so I'm communicating with the lab tech while the patient's in the chair And then when I'm done and the patient leaves, I know that, I know that everything's been communicated. And that's a really liberating feeling.
0: Yeah. What's like the turnaround time for that normally?
1: I don't know, but fast. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but like, you know, we're still, we still want to be conservative with things. We're not going to tell patients that they're going to get their crown back like next week, because for the, you know, for 18 years, we've been telling patients it'll be two weeks or three weeks Mm. for them to get their crown. But. I'm telling you, there are times, Michael, where I'll do a scan on Monday and I'll see the patient's crown in the lab, in our office lab, by Thursday. So whatever they're doing, it's really efficient.
0: Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, man. How long have you been using Dandy for? Two years. Now. No, not even two years. About a year and a half. It's a game
1: changer. It totally changed our practice.
0: Yeah. It's efficiency, everything else, right? Like, it's really, yeah.
1: really good. That's awesome, man. That's ha- good. Not only efficiency, but record keeping, too. Like it, What it did was it made us because everything was digital and on a digital platform and we eliminated a lot of paper, it made it so that we could track where things were much, much easier. Than when we had stuff on paper.
0: All right, guys, you heard it from Dr. Gupta. Dandy is, uh it's going to change your practice. It's going to change your practice in such a great, fantastic way. Remember, guys, Dandy is a sponsor of the podcast. So that means you get an exclusive deal. You'll get a free three-shaped trio scanner. Free scanner, guys. That's already You're already saving over $20,000 right there. And you'll also get $250 in lab credit. Just go to meetdandy.com forward slash TDM. That's meet dandy.com forward slash tdm or you can go in the show notes below it's going to be the first link in the show notes below and then that's going to lead you to the exclusive deal and at the same time you can learn more about dandy all guys let's get back to the episode so is it okay if we kind of dive into a little bit more of the analytics and business side of your your practice right now
1: you, of course yeah i'd love to i'm sorry for probably kind of veering off there but that's a pretty game changer there too
0: no yeah definitely that a really 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 good uh thing to let our listeners know. I wanted to ask right now with your practice before compared to now, I mean, like, let me just ask you, like what's, what's production and collection looking like for you, like in a monthly or yearly basis? Okay.
1: So let's put it this way. We are in a situation financially where there's no crisis that will ever cause us stress, right? So let's say, um, I don't know, the bathroom pipe in my kid's bathroom starts to leak and it completely erodes the drywall that's underneath it and um, insurance doesn't cover any of it. And we have to tear the whole thing apart and rebuild a whole section of our house. I would say that there have been plenty of times in my professional life where that would have been a financial crisis. It would have caused immense amount of psychological stress. And we're in a situation now where nothing like that is going to cause the psychological stress. So we're in a, we're in a very happy uh, situation financially. That's good, man.
0: That's good. Yeah. And then yeah. new patients wise, how many new patients are you getting a month? We're around 35 to 40. Okay. 35. What are you doing for marketing and advertising?
1: So we used to actually, we used to only do um, just that internal marketing outreach, um, you know, uh, having a cool Facebook page, having a cool website, putting cute videos on it and stuff like that. We used to only do internal stuff, but ever since I decided to kind of double down on the implant side of things, I actually did hire a external implant marketing company. Uh, they're called Driven Dental Marketing. Um, and they, their purpose is to drive high value implant patients uh, to call our office. And they have a cool system. What they do is the phone number that is on their marketing pieces is not our office phone number. So patients are actually calling there for people and their people do all the pre-qualification stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they basically deliver these patients to our schedule with a bow. Like these are patients that are already very eager. They're kind of pre-qualified from a financial perspective. Um, And that's been, uh, that's been kind of nice. These are, these are pretty high end high level procedures and it's kind of nice to have them kind of given to us instead of having to earn it as much.
0: Yeah. I like that. So You, let me ask you, when did you start or have you always had, but when did you start like hiring, I guess, external marketing companies or agencies and things like that?
1: So it was, it's really recent. It's only been since September of last year. Prior to that, uh, we stuck very uh, firmly to just internal marketing. Actually, to the point where I probably had a little bit of disdain towards external marketing because... Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of external marketing out there that's not as effective, um, especially if it is a cookie cutter. And so um, I had a little bit of disdain for that because a lot of external marketing is expensive. Okay. Mm -hmm. It it costs a lot. And if you're not developing a relationship with a patient through external marketing, you're going to have patients that come in that don't know you or like you or trust you. (laughs) And so... You know, we were talking about Josh earlier, um, Studio 88. He builds these crazy websites, these beautiful, amazing websites. But what I think is most valuable about his websites is that when you look at his sites and you look at the dentists that are featured on them, those dentists look very likable. They they look very relatable and they look like humans who you want to be friends with. I think that a lot of external marketing, traditional external marketing, It's kind of like, you know, there's this one dentist and let's say it's a he in this case, it's a a male dentist who's wearing a white coat and he's kind of smiling in the middle. And then he has like almost like a pyramid of female uh, 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 team members Mm -hmm. not wearing the, the white coat around him and they're all smiling. And that's kind of like what you picture when you picture traditional third party marketing. And I've always not liked that. I always felt like, dude, I don't know if that's going to create the type of effect that we want. We just want patients to come in and like us. And so I kind of feel like if a person is going to invest in third party marketing, it should be the type of marketing where the real relatable you as a dentist, as a practice, that's what's showcased the relatable, the maybe imperfect, the funny, the goofy the um, flawed, but compassionate and genuine individual. That's who's highlighted rather than the cookie cutter. Here's a nice picture of our team. And all of us are kind of glossed up and dolled up. I I want, that's what I kind of feel like that. That's the value in in third-party marketing. You know what I noticed, about you? Like you're really good at putting
0: words with the emotions and thoughts. Like some things you mentioned where I'm like, I've always wanted to say it, but I didn't know how to say it like that until you, you know what I mean? Like, or I didn't even think about it, but, but it's good. And you're right. Like, uh, I feel like I remember some of the practices I worked in, they were always like, no, this is how we need to be professionally. This is how it has to be. This is a professional, like, this is a professional business. The same way you thought like the pyramid and you know what I mean? Like yeah. they, just the doctors were wearing white coats and stuff. And a lot of us didn't like it, but
1: I mean, that was our boss.
0: You know, we can't.
1: Right. And, and a lot of times it's the, the boss isn't doing it because they're arrogant or they're doing it because that's how it's always been done. You know what I'm saying? So it's no. not really on that. They're, they're not the bad guys, right? They are just doing it the way that they saw other dentists do it. So, you know, one example, um, if you were to go on my website, I'll go, I'll chat it to you um, later. So I, a couple of years ago, one of our team members, our hygienist, she said, you, do you remember the show Full House? Yeah. Full House. It had Bob Saget. Okay. Mm-hmm. She said, can we do like a welcome to our office video, but based on the Full House, like intro. So if you remember, for those people who are my age, there's like this intro and it shows all the characters, but they're all goofing around and they're walking around the streets of San Francisco. And the camera kind of catches San Francisco and it catches them and they're all having fun together and stuff like that. And so this hygienist of mine, Hillary, she said, can we do the same thing? And we were like, whoa, that's a, that's a big project. Like if we're going to do it, we better do it right. Yeah. And so we, we put a little time and effort into it and I figured out how to get that full house font um, onto iMovie. And then we, we recorded ourselves like goofing around, you know, out in the grassy area in front of our office. And anyways, it ended up being a somewhat of a viral video. It, it, we, we, we made the video and had the Full House music and stuff like that. And it became not viral viral, but it became viral compared to anything else I've ever done. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, wow, this is amazing. What a cool office and stuff. And, um, it's so imperfect. It's so imperfect. It's so, um, there's nothing professional about it, but it's so likable. And I realized that's as, as consumers, that's who we want to do business with. We want to do business with people who are likable. I'm looking at the video right now. <laughs> the purple ball and everything. And so anyway, we, and then, and then last year we did one based on the office. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's on the front, that's on the homepage of the website too. They're likable, they're relatable, you know? And I just, I feel like that's where marketing should be. Um, that's, and, and I feel like some marketing companies really understand that. And some marketing companies don't. And uh, I just, I, I, in my opinion, I think the future is in being relatable, not being some ultra professional person that maybe you will never break through to, but maybe that you'll become a friend to your customers.
0: Yeah. And I like what you did. You, cause a lot of the times, maybe one of the uh, listeners listening right now, and then you're like thinking, oh man, I want to do that. But do I just go on to Encore's website and copy everything he, you know what I mean? Like I want to do. And I, I guess it's kind of like asking your team, you know what I mean? Like, Hey guys, like, let's, let's all be involved into this. Let's what, what do you got? What do you got? You know what I mean? If we feel like we're having like a brain fart
1: and can't, can't think about it. You asked like 20 minutes ago, you said, okay, what did you implement? You were like, all right, you read a bunch of books. What did you implement? All the books, they said, you have to have staff meetings. And I was like, yeah, we got to have staff meetings. And so I like organized a staff meeting and it was a total waste of time. Like we didn't know what the hell to talking about. <laughs> so everybody just, great. Everybody just sat there and they were like, well, I don't know why we have to have cotton rolls with this. And then why is it this mix? It was just like a complaint fest and I hated it. What I realized is that something like a staff meeting, if you create an actual set of boundaries and set of parameters that need to be accomplished at a staff meeting, then you poise yourself perfectly for a hygienist to say, hey, let's do a full house video. And for me as the boss, not to just feel totally overwhelmed, right? Mm -hmm. Like I could feel totally overwhelmed. Prior to us having staff meetings or prior to us having effective staff meetings, if somebody was like, yo, let's do a full house video. I I saw some other dentist did it and it was really cool. Let's do the same thing. I'd be totally overwhelmed. I wouldn't know where to start. But now there's, there's time that's set aside at our team meetings where we can actually create and delegate Projects like those. So, a full house video is the same as a Veterans Day project. It's a big project that looks overwhelming at first, but somebody now has the medium, the platform with which to express their interest in doing it. And then that team meeting, we can devote the time to saying, okay, wait, let's break this down. Let's figure out everything that needs to be done. And if you notice in that video that you saw, there's that little purple ball that kind of is like the central theme of the whole video, right? Mm -hmm. That's where that's, you know, that's where somebody is like, well, we need a central theme. What should we do? How should we do it? Oh, how about a ball that's rolling everywhere? And that's when things like this actually happen. And so, you know, I counsel a lot of dentists and they they don't like doing staff meetings because they say, A, it's ineffective. It's a waste of time. It's a complaint fest. Or B, I could be just doing dentistry during that time and making money. And my answer to them is always, you're never going to do something special. That's fine. You'll make money. You'll do dentistry. You'll make money. You'll never do anything special because doing something special is overwhelming unless you have the proper platform to plan it all out, break it all down and delegate it appropriately. I like that.
0: So without staff meetings, you'll never do anything special, basically, when it comes to that. Awesome. Okay. So then with with all of this in mind, and I want you to kind of like Really, really put yourself in this position. From the moment you decided when you were in, that, in the pit and you're like, man, we can't keep doing this till today, what have been some of your biggest struggles or
1: fails or pitfalls? Actually, I'm glad you asked that. Number one, and probably the biggest one, was that we didn't take debt seriously when we first opened. We didn't take debt seriously. Bankers told us what our minimum payment would be. So guess what we paid? Our minimum payment. So we got a car, we paid the minimum payment we got a house, we paid the minimum payment. We got uh, we still had our student loans, we had our loan on the practice and we paid the minimum payment. And what we realized once we started becoming smart is that no matter what our income was, if we were buried in debt, then we weren't truly rich. Listen, if you have a, if you have a high salary, but you're buried in debt, you are poor. You are you have negative money. And once we realized that Debt is actually a very bad thing and something that we can live an incredibly special and liberated life if we, are, if we eliminate those debts. Our life completely changed. It completely changed. And so we stopped being fake rich. And I would say that there was about seven years where we stopped being fake rich. Mm-hmm. Our, our friends, mostly whom are doctors and lawyers and dentists and stuff like that, they would invite us to dinners or vacations and stuff like that, that we knew that... And number one, it probably isn't going to be that much fun. And number two, it's, it would be another example of, of us being fake rich. And while that's, that's definitely uncomfortable to say no, what it has done is it's allowed us to be, uh, to, to live a very unique life in our forties. You know, we're both in our forties now and our lives are very unique. The amount that we can give is very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's because we change our philosophy towards debt. So I would say, number one, the biggest pitfall, the biggest mistake was debt. not getting into debt. Getting into debt, I think, is necessary. But becoming really intentional about getting out of debt. That was number one. Oh. And I, I'll tell you this. I know there's a lot of CE teachers and gurus out there that talk about case acceptance, mm-hmm. case presentation, case acceptance. There is nothing more successful at case acceptance than when you don't care. When you as the person don't care if the person says no. If the patient says no, that's fine. And there's something about that confidence that people all of a sudden stop saying no. They just stop. When you, when you say, no, it's okay. I'm just gonna tell you what we can do. And, and, and I, I, I don't ha- I'm not gonna put you in a lot of pressure and you shouldn't be in a lot of pressure. And I can look at them and genuinely, and I can say, I don't want you to do anything that's going to cause you financial stress. All of a sudden, our case acceptance is, it's, it's very high. We've, we follow this stuff and we know what the national average is and we know what ours is. It's extremely high. And I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that we took care, we were financially responsible, we were disciplined and we stepped out of our comfort zone financially early. And now we're in a place where it really doesn't matter if a person says no and people always, all of a sudden are always saying yes.
0: Yeah, I like that. I feel like a lot of the times Um, and we hear that a lot. We're like, oh, the moment I stopped caring about like, if this person, if my clients would always say yes, or my patients would always say yes, it started coming. But I think it's more like you started, uh, almost putting yourself in their shoes. You know what I mean? Kind of like you started really feeling their feelings, feeling their concerns. Yeah. And you're like, okay, if you can't, you know, it's fine. So I got that. Okay. So
1: those are the two. Was there another one or no? I got one. Mm -hmm. And this might go along with kind of the same, if a person's a jerk. If you are not a jerk, if you are the type of person who really a, a jerkiness affects you and it, and it ruins your mood, well, we are not beholden to jerks. We, we aren't. And, and if you feel the red flags coming up when you're about to embark on a major project with somebody. So in our case, it would be major dental work. If we are about to embark on major dental work, but the red flags are there and this patient just seems like the type of person who will be difficult to deal with, liberate yourself from that relationship. Don't do it. Don't get into it. And I think that a lot of dentists would agree. I think a lot of dentists, we would agree like, dude, the high of receiving that check doesn't come close to the low of dealing with a very, very difficult person with impossible expectations who now you have the obligation to provide them with the best possible dentistry. And even that's not going to be good enough. Sometimes it's better just to liberate yourself from that relationship.
0: Yeah, I love the way you put that, man. The high of getting the paycheck compared to the the low of dealing with that person, man. There's some times where, where we saw that person on the schedule, and we're like, "Oh my god, my stomach! Can I go to lunch? Like, oh, dude, right it's now? The worst. Yeah, it's
1: the worst. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I can't. And, and sometimes you're not even close to being done. You know, you're like, dude, we're, I'm just, I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started and already, like, I feel it in my stomach when I see this person on schedule. There's a good fit for everyone out there. And I can just tell that the way we run things in our office, the way I operate, the way I do things, it's just not going to be a really good fit. I really like you. You're awesome. I just don't think that this is going to be a good fit. Kind of like breaking up, I guess, you know, but uh, do it early instead of doing it late.
0: Yeah. Hurting the person more. I get you, man.
1: Encore, thank you so
0: much for being with us. It was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find
1: you? Yeah, I don't know when this is, uh, when you're broadcasting. But in July of this year, July 29th and 30th, I have my CE event. It's called the Happy Dentist Retreat. It's going to be in Chicago. Um, The website is thehappydentistretreat.com. I secured a yoga instructor, a stand-up comedian, uh, several dental speakers, people who I consider some of the best speakers in the country to uh, give CE. Uh, It's a two-day CE event, but it's going to be very active. It's called the Happy Dentist Retreat because I don't want everybody just sitting around and learning. I want people uh, really active and engaged. I hope uh, any dentist who's listening to this, who's thinking about doing a team-building trip, consider this one because it's a really good one. It's going to be in July 29th and 30th in Chicago. I'll include uh, the website to my office, the website to me as an educator and of course the happy dentist retreat website as well. Okay. I'll put those, I'll chat those to you right now so you can keep them in the show notes.
0: Awesome guys. So make sure you go check that out. And Encore, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon. Pleasure was mine. Thanks a lot, Michael. Take care. Thanks for having me on. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that episode and Encore. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast it was a pleasure uh, talking to you, but I felt like the time went by super fast. Guys, go in the show notes below. Check out his conference if you want. Um, also, check out all the extra links that he has. Reach out to him. Check out his website. It's really unique, uh, but it's it's fantastic. I, I, I hope a lot of you guys take that into consideration What he was speaking about with um, how to market, right? How to be relatable. Uh, so, go ahead and go in the show notes below. Check out his website. It's really, really uh, great videos on there, great website as well. And don't forget that this episode is sponsored by Dandy. You heard Dr. Gupta talked about Dandy. Um, and Dandy's a full service, fully digital dental lab based in the US. And they offer an entire suite of products crowns and bridges, implants and surgical guides, partial and full dentures, night guards, and custom clear liners. Uh, but remember, with Dandy, you get everything you need to take your practice digital. Uh, so you get a top of the line intraoral scanner, you get one on one training, unparalleled support. Access to the Dandy portal. And since you're a listener of this podcast, they're also going to give you a $250 lab credit. So you get everything you need to take your practice fully digital. And you can find out more about Dandy by going to meetdandy.com forward slash TDM. That's meetdandy.com forward slash TDM. And remember, if you decide to try Dandy out and use that link, then you'll get a free three shaped trio scanner. And you'll get $250 in lab credit. So go to meetdandy.com forward slash TDM or you can go in the show notes below. It's going to be the first link in the show notes below. That's going to do it for this episode. And as always, guys, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. It means so much to me. So I appreciate you very, very much. And I'll talk to you in the next episode.